Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. My name's James. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, before I get into the message, I wanted to, this is not count for my message time, okay? So don't start your clock yet. I uh, wanted to make everybody aware of a resource that we give out every week. It's the, in the form of the weekly. And one of the things that, as pastors, we are called to equip the saints. And uh, we preach messages weekly on a regular basis. And um, if you're like me, you can hear a message, you go, mm, that was good, or mm, that wasn't good, or whatever. And then get up and walk out of here and then forget what you, what you heard, right? Can I get an amen that you're like that? Okay, I'm like that. I, I will actually go on our YouTube page sometimes, and I'll look at messages, and I'll go, who preached that? And I'll be like, oh, I did. So I'm just as, as guilty as anyone. So we are forgetful people, and we want to help people remember things. So what we have is on the weekly. On this side is announcements for upcoming week. But on the back side, there is a, uh, a layout of our messages a lot of times that you can fill in the blank, and hopefully you can follow along with us and fill it out. Now, here's the thing. Many of us in this room, if, I were, if we were to be honest, and I said, hey, what are, you, what are you studying in the Word of God right now? You'd be like, I mean, if you're really honest, you'd say nothing, right? Because I don't know what to do. If that's you, let me give you a simple thing to do, okay? Come to church every week. Get one of these every week. Pay attention. Fill it out. And you know what? This would be a great thing if you don't know how to lead your family in devotions. Take this out and go, hey, Let's go through this together. It's very simple. You don't have to go to another book of the Bible. We're studying the book of Romans right now. That's enough to study the rest of my life. So, but as a church, study, take this home. Don't look for something different. Go through the points. And it's actually something that you may go through the passage and go, hey, I didn't see that. Or um, I don't agree with what Pastor James said. I always agree with Pastor Terry, but I didn't agree with what he says there. And then you can contact us and let us know. We'll talk about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a, a resource. So today, as, as I'm going through the sermon, hopefully you'll be able to follow along, fill in the blanks, take it home with, uh, with you, and hopefully, I want you to see down there at the bottom, hopefully you'll hear Jesus talk to you. We believe that when we come together, God is wanting to communicate to us corporately and individually, and so he is calling you individually to do something today. Write it down. Can you imagine if you did this every week, by the end of the year, you'd have 52 of these. See what God's called you to week after week. So that's my plug. All right, you can start your uh, stopwatches now. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Romans, continuing in our teaching series. And uh, if you'll stand with me, we're going to be in chapters, uh, chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading verses 3 through 8. And in honor of the Word of God, let's stand together. And we want to acknowledge again that this is God's Word, inspired by God. Romans chapter 12 beginning with verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Verse 5 so we, though many, are 
one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the gift to be able to come together and to worship you and to once again hear your word. And we know that you want to speak to us this morning. And so I ask that you would help each of us uh, not only to hear you, but also to hear with ears to obey. And that uh, whatever you're communicating to us this morning, that we would take a step forward individually and as your body. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it has been said that man can alter his life if he can alter his thinking. That's because what we think, what we think directs the way that we're going to live our lives. And I want to begin this morning by sharing a true story about a man named Benedict Arnold. This is a picture of him. Uh, someone took on their phone, cell phone. But this is a picture of Benedict Arnold. Arnold, uh, you may have heard the name before, but if you don't know who he was, he was an early war hero, uh, a trusted officer of George Washington during the Revolutionary War. And early in the American Revolution, Arnold was hailed as one of the Continental Army's greatest fighting generals. And on two separate occasions, while risking his life for the rebel colonies, Arnold suffered gunshot gunshot wounds. <laughs> now that I've got your attention, he got gunshot wounds to the same leg twice on different occasions, making his leg, listen, two inches shorter than the other one. So uh, sub sub subsequently, this caused him to walk with a permanent limp. Now, there's a pic this next picture here is a picture commemorating that. It's called the Boot Monument. And it's found in a, a park in New York. Um, but you know what? You can't find General Arnold's name on it. Why? Well, midway through the war, something scandalous happened to Arnold, and he ended up betraying his countrymen and joining the Redcoats. Um, and because of this... Um, Today, Benedict Arnold's name lives in infamy in American history, being synonymous with the word traitor. Now, question I want to ask is what happened? How did General Arnold go from being a passionate patriot to a disloyal defector? And I, I would say it's probably not just one thing, but I am confident that it did begin with his thinking. That's because after experiencing some, some military successes, it is reported that Arnold felt slighted and passed over by the Continental Congress when other officers that he saw as being inferior to him were promoted above him. Also, other officers were given credit for and rewarded for his military accomplishments. So he began to feel slighted. He began to feel jealous and 
Uh, many of his fellow officers reported that he was a, a vain, hot-tempered, greedy, and arrogant man, and later he was found guilty of misusing military funds to help provide for the lavish lifestyle that, lifestyle that he believed that he deserved. One officer is quoted as saying, money is this man's God, and to get enough of it, he would sacrifice his country. And the truth is, that's exactly what he did, as he selfishly sold himself to the British and began using his military, military skills and talents against the very nation that he had once sought to establish. Now, let's bring that that true life story over in today, today's message, because this is a great picture of what can happen to us if we fail to think rightly about ourselves. By that I mean that just like Benedict Arnold's self-centered thinking about himself prevented him from fulfilling his call to selflessly serve the country he had once loved, just like that, and this is my proposition for this morning. If we fail to think rightly about ourselves in light of the gospel, we too will fail to fulfill our call to selflessly serve one another in Jesus. And this morning there are three ways found in our passage that reveal how disciples of Jesus need to think. There's three ways that we need to think in our passage if we are going to remain faithful as we ought to. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down on the back of your weekly. You need to think soberly about yourself. That's the first thing that Paul tells us. You need to think soberly about yourself. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to who? I say to everyone among you. This is spoken to the church. Listen, this is for everyone who claims to know Jesus, all right? I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to, here it is, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, just to give us, to, to remind us of our context, in the two previous verses that I preached on last week, Paul has been appealing to us, appealing to the church, appealing to his listeners to do two things. Number one, in light of God's love for us, in light of the gospel, the most reasonable and logical thing you can do when you know what Jesus has done for you, the most logical and reasonable thing that you can do is to present yourself a living sacrifice. Secondly, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't let this world push you into its mold and make you into what it wants you to be. Rather, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let the Holy Spirit transform you by the word of God to be more like Jesus. And so Paul is stressing the great importance for disciples of Jesus to develop their minds. That's why we're having this series on Tuesday nights here at the facility. I want to invite you, if you were, if you were not able to be a part of it, I want to encourage you, if you can be a part of being here on Tuesday nights, it's well worth the energy to get out here because we're going to apply what I'm preaching this, this morning here, but to develop our minds so that we can live for the glory of God. And so in verse 3, he says, think, think with sober judgment about yourself. In other words, if you're taking notes, don't think too highly of yourself. And don't think 
too lowly of yourselves. That's implied. Rather, think accurately about yourselves. And, you know, that really can be a tricky thing. That can be a tricky thing to understand, to discern what's sober thinking and what's not sober thinking. And from time to time, I like to watch motivational videos that are on YouTube. Anybody else like that? I like to watch those, those videos. The ones especially, they're not all bad. Some of them are good. The ones that tell me to take responsibility for in areas of my life that I can take responsibility for. Quit blaming uh, my mom uh, for why I'm like I am. It's not her fault, okay? <laughs> take responsibility. I love those kind uh, of, of videos because they remind me, okay, there's things that you can practically do to move yourself forward. Um, but sometimes those motivational videos, we've got to be careful because they can go too far. And I came across this, this one uh, this past week entitled, You Are Enough. You Are Enough. It's an inspirational speech given to young people. I don't know why you need to tell a young person they're enough. Because I, when I was a young person, I thought I was enough, okay? Uh, at least half the time. Then other times I go to this other ditch where I'm, not, I'm horrible. But... Uh, She's a very extremely gifted, charismatic communicator. I would love to get the gospel out of her because she could really communicate it well. But uh, she does tell you to take responsibility for your life. But then she goes off the rails or goes a little bit too far by teaching that you are your own Michelangelo. And simply that you need to look within yourself and create and bring into existence the reality that your heart desires. Okay, Um, during this speech, she has her students say back to her uh, this motivational mantra. I'm going to read it to you. I'm not going to have you say it back to me, but here's what she said. I stand here in my greatness. (laughs) I own my light. I own my brilliance. I am bold. I am courageous. I am perfect in my imperfections. This is my time. I'm bright enough. I'm old enough. I'm young enough, I've experienced enough, I'm wise enough, I understand that I am enough. In other words, you don't need anything but you because you are enough. And you know, I don't know if God created me this way, but I have a third eye. Um, Sometimes I say things because I've got this eye that I just see life through a different lens sometimes. And um, sometimes I say things that are funny, and they're not funny at the right time. But when I read, uh, listened to her uh, speech, I, I, I like to think about things and test them with the Spirit. Is this from God? Is, this, is there good in it? And there's some good things in there. But I started, you know who I pictured when I was reading this? I pictured moms with nursing infants. And saying this to a mom with nursing infants, I stand here in my greatness at 3 o'clock in the morning, right, when I haven't had any sleep. Think about that, nursing moms. Uh, I own my light. I own my brilliance. That's not, when I talk to a, a, a nursing mom, a nursing mom is not looking in herself to, uh, to be able to say, I've got it all together. The only thing that I, in this, this passage or this uh, mantra that I could say she would say is, I've experienced enough. <laughs> I've had enough, Right? Where's my husband? You know, that type of thing. I, I had six kids. I know what that's like. So, um, 
But what about, I know I'm kind of being silly right there, but what about when you get that phone call that says, hey, so-and-so was in a bad wreck and they're in the hospital. I don't know if they're going to make it. I'm not saying I'm enough. It's just not true. The truth is we are not enough if we have lived long enough. We're not enough. And that's what Paul has been trying to convince us, the entire book of Romans. That's what the gospel tells us. That's the heart of the gospel. Our mantra should be, I'm not enough. I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. Only he is enough. Amen. It's okay to say amen. Amen. And, uh, you know, when we regularly renew our minds with the truths that are found in the gospel, instead of swerving back and forth like a drunk driver between thinking too highly of ourselves and too lowly of ourselves, we think soberly. We think accurately. We keep the car in the middle of the lane. And we begin to live stable lives. And there is such beauty. Listen, we preach the gospel. We try to preach the gospel on a weekly basis not just at the end of the sermon, but all throughout. We want to be a gospel-centered church. That means that we want to focus on the cross. And there's such a beauty and a wisdom in the cross, beauty and wisdom in the cross of Jesus. Because, listen, it allows us to humbly and confidently speak the truth about ourselves in a balanced and God-glorifying way. For example, when our minds are filled with ego-inflated ideas about ourselves— about maybe we've done something really good, right? Uh, we've got, or we're, we're, we see that we're, we're, we are really gifted. Maybe we have a lot of possessions. We've done something great, and we can be puffed up with it, and we can feel superior to others, or we can feel self-sufficient. One look at the cross of Jesus, of him hanging there, beaten, bloodied, suffering, Dying, one look reminds us, and that's what I deserve right there. But praise God, he took it for me. And it brings us back to earth, doesn't it? It puts us back on our knees, that beautiful place of worship before Jesus. The wisdom of God keeps us from thinking too highly of ourselves, but it also keeps us from thinking too lowly of ourselves because there are times in our lives when we are aware of our failures, we're aware of our sins, we're aware that we're not enough. You know you're not enough, and you can feel uh, oppressed and insignificant. You can also look at others who seem to have it all together, which nobody does, but you can. it feels like it. And again, one look at the cross of Christ. Seeing our Savior bleeding, dying, suffering in our place reminds us, though, that we are not enough. He is. And we are, listen, church, the cross proves that we are eternally valuable, that we are eternally loved by the only one whose opinion really matters. That is the beauty and the glory of the cross. So I want to encourage us, church, to keep standing next to the cross of Christ, 
so that we can humbly and soberly think about ourselves rightly. So after thinking soberly about ourselves, secondly, Paul moves on to another point. He says, uh, basically, think corporately. Think corporately about your faith. Let's look at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body. Many make up one in Christ. And I want you to see this part. I underlined it because I don't want us to miss this. This is the part of the the message we've got to grasp this morning. This is really the heart of the message. Individually, we are members one of another. Amen? Amen. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus belongs to Christ. Amen? Do you agree with that? Everyone who puts their faith in Christ belongs to Christ. Second point I want you to see under this point is if we belong to Christ... We belong to one another. Amen? Amen. Do you believe that? We are called to live interdependently, connected lives with one another. Uh, Remember that we are, we got to remember that we are not lions that can live and go out by themselves. We are sheep. Sheep must stay together. That means we are weak. That means we are not enough. Secondly, we need to see that we need each other. When you think corporately about your faith, you need to remember that you belong to one another and that you need one another. Now, Paul has already, if you paid att- I don't know if you paid attention to this in verse 1 of this chapter that I preached on last week. But I want to go back there and look at it real quick. Look what he says. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the gospel, by what Christ has done for you, I appeal to you to present your bodies, plural. See that? I present your bodies, plural, as you would think he would say living sacrifices, but he says a living sacrifice, singular. What he's saying is individual faiths coming together and presenting ourselves corporately to God as one single, united, living sacrifice. That's what Paul is is getting at. And so, church, let me ask you this. You've said amen a few times, but let me ask you, do you soberly believe that this is what this passage is teaching this morning? That we need to think corporately about our faith. That you need to... uh, that, That... Not only do you need the body of Christ to live for Jesus, but that the body needs you. Do you believe that the body needs you? And here's how you know. By the way you live your life in relation to the body. Now, I've got a a graphic here I want us to look at. Um, You can see that there's different... um, tiers of it. The middle one is the core tier. Uh, this is the core. This represents the church. The circle does. So the, the center is the core members of the church. These, these are true disciples of Jesus who realize um, their inability to live out the Christian life alone. They realize that they're not enough, and therefore they are highly committed 
to being a part of the local body, the local church. Um, this is made up of covenant members. This is made up of leadership. And these are people who are what we would call all in. If you're a covenant member, you've said, hey, I want to be all in here at Reach Life Church. And you're engaging your heart, your mind, your finances, your talents, your life. We are interdependently connected with the body and the church. Listen, if the core collapsed at Reach Life Church, Reach Life Church would say, you know what? We're no longer going to meet. We can't. You've got to have the core to have a, have a, a local church. Now, the church in itself is never going to collapse uh, this side of eternity. Jesus said, my church is going to make it to the end. Okay, so, but with, with this example, I'm talking about the local church here. Uh, if it collapses, then, then uh, the rest of the church would collapse. Then there's a second tier called committed, that I would call committed attenders. Um, this is made up of uh, believers. Um, it's also, sometimes it's made up of covenant uh, members that uh, are their Sunday attenders. They are true disciples of Jesus. Um, oftentimes, they, they know people within the body. Um, they will contribute financially. Uh, sometimes they will get involved um, outside of Sunday mornings. Um, but it's a lower level of commitment. It's kind of like it's not your, the dependency upon the rest of the body is not displayed in this tier. Everybody following me on that? Then there's a third tier, which would be the casual attenders. It's comprised of, uh, it's some, of them, some of those on the casual would be true believers. Uh, some of them would be seekers who are wanting to know more about Jesus. But the thing that's about that outer tier is that they do not fully commit to the body. They are content to, to kind of just show up on Sunday mornings um, whenever things are it's, uh, convenient. Maybe it's on Christmas or Easter or maybe five or six times throughout the year. Um, but they feel no obligation to uh, commit sacrificially to the body. And um, in some ways, it seems like the church exists solely for, that, for them. They're not going to question, how did all this stuff get here or anything like that? Or how are we going to clean up this place? It's like they'll just show up and then be served. So the question I want to ask this morning is, which group are you in? Okay, you, you assess which group you are in. You are in. And I'm going to ask you some other questions. Do you see from today's text that uh, we are called to be significantly connected to the body of Christ? Just answer that to yourself. Now, I'm going to stop here and say, if possible. Okay? There are seasons in life, uh, situations in life, where you really can't be a part of the core in body. Okay? I want to acknowledge that. There are seasons, there's, there's times where you have to pull back. Uh, but here's, here's how you know you're really a part of that core. You hate not being a part of it. You wish you could be there, but you can't. There's, there's not, that's the reason you're not a part of the core, okay? Uh, so my, my question is, do you see that, that Scripture's teaching that, that believers need to be significantly connected? Secondly, would you agree that the book of Romans or most of the Bible cannot be applied in isolation? Would you agree with that, that we need to be in community? And let me ask you this, if we're not applying God's word, would you agree that it means we're neglecting it? If we hear something in God's word and we say, I agree, but I'm not going to do it, would you agree that that's neglecting the word of God? 
And if we neglect God's word, would you agree that that's, the Bible calls that sinning and being disobedient? I'm just asking you to assess yourself in there. And because I've heard, listen, I've heard pastors stand up in churches where the, I mean, all churches are, have these tiers in it. Now, I want to also point out that that outside tier is the community of the world. So imagine that that blue goes big. But there's pastors I've heard stand up. I've been on staff in a church where they've said, listen, if you're not going to have no intentions to moving into the core, there's the door. I mean, literally, we'll say things like that. And I, I want to promise you that that is not the spirit I am saying this in. I don't, I don't see that kind of uh, mentality in the scriptures at all. Uh, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on anyone. I promise you. I've learned over the I used to, when, when I was 20, I would have been trying to guilt trip you into something. I promise you, guilt doesn't, doesn't last. It doesn't work. And that's not what the gospel does. The gospel is meant to relieve us of our guilt so that we can freely serve God. So I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you unless you're guilty, okay? So if you're guilty, you need, but I don't want you to stay in your guilt. I'm trying to appeal to you by the mercies of God, thinking of all that Christ has done for you. If you really get it, to think soberly about what we're talking about here in the passage. And you might be thinking, yeah, well, you know, I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm a true believer. I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got his word. So why do I need to be enter whatever you're calling that connected to the body? And there are some people that I would say that are outside the community that are true believers. They're not even in the, the casual community. So let me ask, let me uh, answer it with one. There's a lot of reasons why I would say you still need to be connected. Number one, scripture teaches it. But let me say another reason. Paul Tripp uh, has a book called New Morning Mercies, and this just happened by chance to be in there this week. I want, to, I want to read it for you. He says this, corporate worship, that's what we're doing today. It's not just singing. It's coming together uh, as one body to worship, is designed to once again clear up our confu confusion as to what is truly important in life. Every day we all name things as important. And when we do, we work to have those things in our lives. The fact of the matter is that we all lose sight of what is truly important. Amen? We all need to be reminded again and again of what God has declared are the most important things in life. So in grace, as a gift, God has designed us to regularly gather together and remember the things that are worth living for. Corporate worship reminds us of his power, glory, and grace. It reminds us of the depth of our spiritual needs. It reminds us of the eternity that is to come. It reminds us of salvation, past, present, and future. And as it reminds us of these things, it clears up our values, confusion once again. Rescuing, rescuing us from our wandering and often fickle hearts, and pointing us to the one who rightly commands our allegiance. And in grace gives us every important thing that we would ever need. Gathering corporately, being connected to the body to worship God is God-ordained. It's a, a way that God has ordained for us to renew our minds on a regular basis. And then to be transformed together 
to be more like Jesus. So, after we think soberly about ourselves, think corporately about our faith, the last thing I want us to see is that we need to think differently about our gifts. You need to think differently about your gifts. Verse 4 says, For as, we've already seen this, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. We're different. We'll look at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Look at that last one, two, three, four words. Let us use them. All right, I'm going to give you some truths under this truth here about thinking differently about our gifts. And the first one is this. Our gifts are Gifts. That was deep, wasn't it? <laughs> Thanks, James. You know why I said that? Because a lot of times we forget that. Um, how many times have you been gifted in something and you thought it was you? You took credit for it. You got proud. The Scriptures teach that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the, he- the Father of the heavenly lights. And he says, what do you have? Paul says, what do you have that that God didn't give you? And if he gave it to you, why would you boast? When we don't remember that our gifts are gifts, we will think that we somehow created them or that they originated from us. So we need to remember to keep humble uh, that gifts are gifts. Our gifts are gifts. Secondly, we need to remember that our gifts are strategically different. They're strategically different. We have not been all given the same gift. Uh, God decides who gets what. God does, not you, not me. So I can't look at you and go, look what God gave me, or why didn't God give me that? I look to God, and I take it up with him if I have a problem, right? Uh, But if we're really walking in the gospel, you're just grateful that you get a gift to serve with. So, um, But our our gifts differ based upon God's wisdom. I want us to look at 1 Peter 4, 10. He says, as each has received a gift... Use it for yourself to prosper. Your, no, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I don't have a choice of what gifts God gives me, but I can develop them. And they're, they're given to me to be used to bless the body. Last one is I want us to see is that our gifts are meant to be used. Our gifts are meant to be used. Verse 6 says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. We already saw that in 1 Peter 4. We see it again here. Let us use them collectively, not individually. Sometimes, you know, you can use your gift for yourself to benefit yourself. But they were given to you. They were given to me to be used within the body, to to collectively make Jesus known. Did you, do you think, let me ask you this, do you believe that? I have to ask myself, do I really believe that? Um, do you believe that you have a gift that God gave you to use within the body and that if you don't use it within the body, the body suffers? That's what Scripture's teaching here. 
you need us, um, we need you. We're, we're to be a diversely gifted group of believers that are working together for the common good, and that is to make Jesus known. We know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says, go to the church, go and make disciples, what? Of all nations. In other words, go to the ends of the earth. Make me known throughout all the earth, church, corporately, together, using your individual gifts. I love, but that's not all. I love Psalm 71, 18. Uh, the psalmist says, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God. See, all, if you're old, you're like, amen, okay? Do not forsake me until, I love, I absolutely love this, until I proclaim your might to another generation. Does that excite you? Your power to all those to come. Man, that is, that is one of the calls. Make, him, make Jesus known to the ends of the earth, but don't miss those that are sitting right in front of you. I want to be, you know, and listen, Scripture says that, that you know, God, the gospel will be to the end of the ages, but, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be a church that's, that's a part of that. I want to be faithful to pass the gospel baton to the next generation like we're doing back here at Reach Kids. But, but, you know, parents, we want to be equipped to do it in our homes and also to care for, to, to pass it to, to those who don't have homes. We want to be that kind of church. Now, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, but I'm going to do it. I'm not leaving. I want us to pretend like this is the gospel, okay? Okay? All right. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw it out here, and we want to take this gospel to the ends of the earth and to the next generation. And you know where that, where that is? How we'll know we've reached it? It'll be in Dylan's hand. See, Dylan, raise your hand, Dylan. He's the one that's been leading worship uh, on the piano, musical worship. All right, so I'm going to toss this out here. Now, here's how we know we didn't reach the ends of the earth in, in the next generation. It will hit the floor or a chair. All right? Some of y'all have already decided whether or not you're going to be a part of this. <laughs> All right. Every week, I end by saying, Reach Life Church, you are, you are sent. Reach Life Church, you are sent. <laughs> that is not prophetic. That is not prophetic. Just keep it. It's it's church is messy. Let's let's yes. If you're listening uh, via our podcast, by the way, we have a podcast. If you didn't know, uh, you missed something that you had to be here to see. So anyway, um, sorry, Scott. All right. So anyway, um, what had to happen right there for it to get back there? People had to get up didn't they? They had to want to. I don't know, some of y'all are probably like, I ain't doing this, right? And I'm glad it didn't go that direction or whichever direction it was. 
But the point that I want you to remember is the only way that that gospel in this church was going to get back there is if we got up and did something. Terry was the first one to get up and uh, push it the, the, that way. I don't know why I gave you I'm sorry. I didn't mean to elevate you above everybody else. <laughs> it was a church uh, effort. But the, that's right. <laughs> but I hope that will stick in our minds, that it's going to take the whole body to get the gospel to the ends of the earth and to pass it to the next generation. Quickly, and I'm, I'm almost to the end here, um, Paul gives us a list of spiritual gifts. This list is not exhaustive. Uh, I'm going to give quick definitions of them. There's more that are found in 1 Peter 4. I read those. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, you can look at those there also. Um, but he starts with prophecy. And usually when we think of prophecy, we immediately think of uh, foretelling the future, um, that sort of thing. And, you know, that could be that could be uh, something that, that this is talking about. It's happened in the book of Acts. And uh, I don't want to put any limits on uh, the Holy Spirit and what he can do in the church. But it also very well... It's talking about forthtelling, so we can. It could be forthtelling, but we. I want to make sure that we understand it. It really can relate to forthtelling, which is the ability to help the church to interpret the present times. You listening to me? Not the future, but the present through the Word of God. So it's you're not. It's not new revelation, and there's no new revelation. It's just the revelation that we've been given in God's Word and we're learning how to unpack it in our present time. So that could be the, the gift of prophecy. Then there's the gift of service. Uh, those, are, those who have the gift of service, the spiritual gift of service, are good at logistics and meeting practical needs. They are the people that often like to work behind the scenes. They don't want to be up here on stage giving announcements or preaching. Uh, there's the, the gift of teaching. That does not necessarily mean that you can preach, but it means that you have the ability to take the truths of God's Word and break them down off of that, let's say, that loaf of bread, break it down and give it to people in bite-sized bite pieces so that they can understand the Word and apply the Word. So that's someone that's a teacher has the ability to do that. Exhortation, that's the type of person that you want to be around when you need encouragement from the Word of God. They somehow know how to take the Scriptures, and they don't just preach at you. They, they bring it to you in such a way, they counsel you in such a way that you leave encouraged and inspired to love and to serve Jesus fully. There's people in this church that have that gift. Contributing. This is the person that is just generous. They love to give gifts uh, financially. They love to, to give of themselves. But it's not just this like throwing money out or, or themselves crazily. They know how to do it wisely. The gift of leadership uh, is a person who uh, people want to follow. There's something about that person. They are able to uh, look ahead. They are able to give vision. They are able to point people in a direction and then lead them into that, whatever they are um, seeing. The last one that Paul gives is, is the gift of mercy, or the, I'm sorry, the, the, um, yeah, the gift of mercy. This person is gifted and compelled. They have a heart to meet the needs of the less fortunate um, like the poor and, and the sick and the elderly. Now, this is not all of them, um, but this is the, one that, the ones that Paul gave, so that's what I'm highlighting today. We could do a whole message on the spiritual gifts, which we probably need to. But my point that I want to get at is, do you see how that we don't all have all the gifts, but how important the gifts I just shared 
are, if they were all operating together as we were connected together as a body of Christ, to lift up Jesus. That's what Paul, I think, is getting at. He's not trying to guilt trip anyone. He's saying, if you've got a gift and you're not using it, you're missing it. You're missing on the joy of being able to take something that God has given you and to use it for his glory. Because you know what? That is what we were created for, isn't it? To bring glory to God. And so he's given us gifts. He says, hey, develop this, use this, be faithful with this within the context of the, of the church body, and I will use it to bring glory to my, my son, Jesus Christ. So what is the best way to discover your spiritual gifts? We could give a, a spiritual assessment test, which I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but you know what the best way to do it is? Is to be in a local body where people can help you soberly assess what your spiritual gifts are. Because sometimes you think it's a spiritual gift that you've got this gift, and then you get around the corporate, and it's like, um, I don't know if that's your gift. Like someone's saying, man, I'm gifted to sing. The Lord gave me this song. Here's my third eye going off right now. Okay, I'm gifted. They stand up. You let them sing, and they, sit, they say, the Lord's laid this on my heart. They sing it. They sit down, and the whole congregation is thinking, that was not from the Lord, I promise you. Don't blame that on God. So anyway, what my point is, <laughs> we need to, some of y'all ain't laughing because, okay, soberly, we need to think <laughs> soberly. We need to think soberly, seriously, about the gifts that we've given. And what happens is when you get within a body, uh, sometimes people will go, I, I notice that you do this seems naturally and begins to encourage you. And you get to explore those things. That's why it's so important to be within the body to use your gifts. Um, and so what I want to do is, again, look at that uh, that. Um, graphic that I put up earlier and ask you which, which, uh, which one of these places are you in right now? You know what we want? What God wants is that core to get bigger. He wants it to keep getting bigger, moving people from the outer to the inner. And so I want to ask you, if you're not in that core, and if you're in that core, you, here's what you realize, man, I'm nowhere. I need to say, I'm no better than anybody else. But the core, if you're on the outside, why, why are you not in the core? What, there's a reason you're not in the core. And again, I said there's sometimes there's seasons in our life where there's a reason why you can't be in that core right now. But why are you not in the core if you're not in the core? And here's, here's what I want to ask you. Does God have your heart? I'm not asking if you're saved. You can be saved and God, in that moment, not have your heart. It might be some idol, something else is telling you, you know, this is more important than you being interconnected with the body. And I just want you to assess that. I don't, I don't know what it is that, that it might be. And there's times that uh, we all need to, we all have idols that are popping up that keep us out from being connected to the body. But if that is not, if there is something that is between you and God, what is that? And that's what I want you to deal with God this morning as we um, spend time in communion in just a minute. Pastor Terry's going to come in just, just a second here. And let me just end with this. What I'm um, calling you to this morning is not first and foremost to get to be a part of the core. The thing I want to call you to this morning is to Stand at the foot of the cross of Jesus. 
and allow that truth to be fresh in your heart again. Because you know what? If that is, you're going to want to move to the core. It won't be from guilt. It'll be from joy and thanksgiving. And maybe this morning you're sitting here going, I'm not even, I'm on the outside community there. I know I'm not part of of any of that there. What do I need to do? Look at Christ Jesus. And here's what you need to understand, that God loves you enough to send his son to die for you because he knows you're not enough, what we talked about earlier, and that if you will come to him and confess that and say, Lord, I need a Savior. I know I'm not enough. I have rebelled against you. I need forgiveness, and I trust you, Jesus. If you'll put your faith in Jesus this morning and call upon him, he says he will save you. He will forgive you of all your sin. And you can walk in like on new snow. That's, that's a, a promise to those who are outside the community. If that's you, I want to encourage you to put your faith in him this morning and then come talk to me afterwards. But that's also a promise to the church this morning. Some of you might be feeling, I'm, I know I'm not enough this morning. I want to encourage you to remember the gospel. The very gospel that saved you is the same gospel that's meant to sanctify you, to make you more like Christ. Remember the, what Christ has done for you. And then whatever he's calling you to do, I want to encourage you to take a step forward this morning. Amen.